0: As, um, as you may or may not know, right, so we're, we're coming around the kind of the, the final home stretch of this year-long sermon series that we've been a part of. Uh, Jeff kind of introduced the idea of discipler. Um, last week. And so I'm going to actually pick up the ball and kind of run with that. But if you if you look back, we started up there with the little red bar there where it says disciple, and then God's Word, and servant, and prayer, and sacrificial, or sacrifice. And now we're coming around to discipler. And, and as I was working on this sermon to kind of type it up my notes, every time I kept trying to type in the word discipler, for some reason Microsoft didn't understand that word. And so it kept trying to auto-correct it to disciple or discipline. And so I would like, no, I'm like, discipler. And it just the R would come back, you know, like and it just kept changing. And I'm like, as, then, as I thought about that and kind of laughed, I'm like, the reality is, um, that really a disciple is meant to, I mean, a disciple is meant to be a discipler. So the fact that it kept wanting to drop that R on me, it, it just already knew the answer that that is inherent to being a disciple of Jesus Christ. You are meant to go and make more disciples, it's part of who we are by saying, I do to Jesus. And so, um, I kind of thought about that, and then I thought, you know as we've worked through this year, maybe there were things that were going on and, you're, and you know we're coming to this point. You're like, yes, but, and then that yes, but is where we have excuses. But I, I don't know the whole word, right? You know, I have fears or whatever, you know, I just made a commitment or whatever, whatever. And I was thinking about that. And actually one of the pastors that pastors me, virtual pastor, um, my, my wife always makes fun of my virtual friends. So a virtual pastor of mine, Erwin McManus, um, has a big church called Mosaic down in L.A. And I listened to a number of his podcasts. I've read a number of his books. But in um, times I've seen him preach and books that I've read, he gives this testimony. And that there was a moment um, when he gave his life to Jesus. And shortly thereafter, like in the first two weeks, like very soon after, like I think he read the book of John or something like that, he made a decision for Jesus. And then whatever group that he was a part of said, hey, we're going to go to this local prison and do prison ministry and outreach. When want to come? He's like, sure. I don't know what that is, but we'll go. And so he's in there. And then all the next thing you know, he's witnessing to somebody. And, but he's just read, like, the book of John. And now he has a whole Bible. And, and so he's just like, he's in the midst of this testimony. He's like, well, it says in, in, in John 3.16. And now he's looking at this Bible. He's like, oh, where's John? So he's like, well, it says in the Bible. And he's trying to find this book, right? And the guy, like, leans over and goes, hey, don't worry. He goes, I don't know how to read. And so he just turned to random pages. It says here, John 3.16. You know, God so loved the world, right? I don't know what book he ended up in, but it didn't matter, right? So, so what Irwin was starting with was he started with what he knew and what led him to a place of belief, and he was just ready to share that, right? That was before he had any theological training, before he did anything that he's done. Like in the very beginning, he knew what he believed to that point, and he was ready to share that. And so he didn't let the fact that he couldn't find the book of John in the Bible be a, 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 an excuse for him. He knew the message that he believed and had enough to share with somebody who knew a little bit less than him. And that's what disciples do, right? We find people who, who, who need to know something that maybe we know. And we keep learning from people who know more than us. And that's where we are our whole lives. And so as I was thinking about this and just kind of starting off this, um, this uh, section on, on discipler, I was praying, and, and this was the scripture that um, God put on my heart for us to walk through this morning. Is a section in the book of 2 Corinthians, this letter to this church that Paul's writing, um, that I think speaks to this point that we need to acknowledge and know that, that we have an inner circle. We have an 8 to 15 that needs to know the love of Jesus, and there's a purpose for us in order to reach them. And so he starts out this section and says this, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. Right? That The, the key reason why any of that stuff matters around that kind of equipped circle, if you will, starts and finishes and is, um, and is fueled by the love of Jesus Christ. That should be the motivation and that should be what drives our convictions. And so he starts out here, for Christ's love compels us. Right? It compels us. Like, I can't not do something because of this love now. And that's what should fuel our motivation, is the very love of Jesus Christ. And not only that, he says, because we're convinced, right? We've judged. We've looked at the evidence, and we have ruled yes. And so that develops our convictions. Right? So we're compelled by the love of Jesus, and we develop our convictions because of that same love of Jesus Christ. And what is that love? That he died for all, right? He died sacrificially for the whole world, that those who would believe would become his disciples who are disciples who make other disciples. Does that make sense? But it starts with the very love of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And that love should compel us and should drive and dictate our convictions. And so Paul starts out with that. He says this, this is, what, this is what fuels my fire is the love of Jesus Christ. And so he starts off that section. And he goes on to pen these words. And he, Jesus, died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but live for him who died for them and was raised again. Right? So here's that same gospel message of, of Jesus Christ. But the reality is that it should affect how we live. We no longer live for ourselves. If we've said yes to Jesus, we're to put away our selfish lifestyle, thinking foolishly that we could build the kingdom of me, and we exchange that for the kingdom of he, of him. And that's that kingdom um, series that Jeff just walked through for those four weeks um, prior to coming back to this. Is The reality is that we lay down any foolish notion we have of our own kingdom And we pick up and we take up the realities and the purpose of the kingdom of God. That we should no longer live for ourselves. But we live for him who died for us and was raised again. And so Paul is writing these words. This is an expression of that love. This is a definition or understanding of that love is the sacrificial death that Christ did for us. And there should be a stark contrast there should be a stark contrast in the way that we used to live our life to how we live our life now, right? And that's, and that's dictated and shaped by the things that we looked at, right? That by being in God's Word, letting it convict us, that we have a life of prayer, that we're listening to the Holy Spirit, that we are being sacrificial, And we're sacrificing. And these things that we've talked about all year long should be shaping our lives and so that we look so radically different from the way the world looks. And the way that we live our lives now as disciples who are disciplers, radically different than before we said, I do to him. And that's what Paul is getting to here. This life that we we live, this life that we lead should look radically different. And we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for him. And he goes on to say this. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. That what Jesus has done and that that effect in our life changes. Changes everything about us, but it starts with our perspective. How we see the world. We no longer have a worldly perspective of Jesus who didn't understand, who did mock him. Or maybe thought at best he's one of many. But now we know the truth. He is the one true living God. And it changed our perspective. But not only changed our perspective of him, but it should change our perspective of other people. For we no longer have a worldly perspective of other people. We don't regard them from a a worldly point of view. We should see people, our 8 to 15, our inner circle, those people around us from a kingdom perspective. Because our perspective, how we see the world, should be changing as we're disciples of Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul is saying here. That if we have said yes to Jesus, that changes the perspective and how we see and how we view life. And so that's what he's stating. And he's challenging the Corinthians to to live this out. And not only did it change our perspective, which should fuel our purpose but it was radically changed who we are because of the work on the cross and who Jesus is and what he did. That therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. It's a wholesale change. It's not just a complete makeover. It's a radical transformation. And I think I've shared this before. I had the, um, I had the, the, the pleasure and the privilege of being at the San Francisco Giants' last home game at Candlestick and seeing Candlestick in all its glory. And then to come back um, for the next season and be at their very first home game at Pac Bell Park at AT&T. And I remember walking through the, you know, the, the doorway out to the stadium and just standing there and going like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Like it, didn't look, it was nothing like Candlestick. It was totally brand new. The best view you could see. The bay and, and there's the Coca-Cola sign. It wasn't even a Pepsi slide. It's a Coke slide. They even got that right right? It was brand. was awesome. I'm like, I just stood there like, wow. I don't even need to see a baseball game. Like, this is awesome enough, right? That's what happens with us when we say yes to Jesus, right? It still was a baseball stadium, right? So it was still the person of Tim, right? But I was changed radically when I said I do. Brand new. Wholesale change. And that's what he's talking about here. The, The old is gone. Just gone. Made brand new in Christ. Radical transformation. And that's what happens when we say yes to Him and we are disciples. And by being disciples, we are disciplers. Now, maybe someday Esteban will have that privilege of seeing a new Dodger stadium if they should ever have money to do something or be successful. <laughs> and all this is from God. Right, this change that goes on, this this rewiring of us, this challenge of our perspective doesn't come from inside of us. I couldn't dream this up. I couldn't power it enough. I couldn't energize it. I couldn't even, you know, we just had Ask and Imagine Conference. I couldn't ask and imagine this. Are you kidding me? It requires the work of God in my life to, to be changed, but also to be powered, to live into it. And all of this, all that work of reconciliation comes from God and Jesus who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us or entrusted to us the ministry of reconciliation. Like he gave this ministry to us. He's entrusted. He's like, hey, this is so valuable, but you are my children. I'm giving you this. I'm entrusting the keys of the kingdom to you to work alongside of me. And this is the most important thing there is. And I'm entrusting it to you. Why? Because we've been radically changed as disciples who are called to make more disciples. And he said, I'm giving you this ministry. Now, I don't know if you ever asked for that. I don't know what you ask of God. I don't know, like, you know, some of your maybe Christmas list or birthday list. Like, I, I never asked for the ministry of reconciliation. I might have asked for a Maserati one time, but, but not a ministry. There was nowhere on my, on my list of anything. Any letter I ever mailed to, to Santa Claus or gave to my parents, like that wasn't on my list. But I became a follower of Jesus. And he said, hey, the number one thing on your list I'm going to entrust to you is the ministry of reconciliation. That, you're, that you are walking with people who are still in debt because of their sin. And if they understand my love, I will pay that debt and reconcile them and have them in the positive now because of what I've done on the cross. Tim. And you who follow me, I'm giving you this ministry. And so he has. There were disciples who were made to be disciples to make more disciples, because God wants to express his love to everyone. And he wants people to respond to that. And So he's entrusted this, this ministry. And then, and then he goes on. And he says that God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So not only has he entrusted the ministry of reconciliation, and so maybe you have this ministry, you're like, I don't know what to say. He's like, perfect. I'm going to also entrust the message of the reconciliation to you. And here's more language about that, right? There's this idea of reconciling. This is this idea that, that God paid the debts we could never pay. And here Paul is just using different, you know, um, diff- different words to say the same thing of what Christ did on the cross on our behalf. So they understood not only the ministry that they were receiving, but the message they were supposed to go and tell their 8 to 15. And, and, and Paul is just saying, hey, this is all from God. He's entrusting the ministry and the message to those who say, I do to him. you would go and make more disciples. And then we come alongside of God who's at work, who's still reconciling the world to himself in Christ. And he says, join me. And then he lands here. And Paul says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his very appeal through us. And we implore you on on God's behalf, be reconciled to God, right? He calls us ambassadors. And you know what an ambassador is, right? He's sent from the home country to a visiting country where he's a resident alien. But what does he do there? He represents all of the philosophies and all of the, the things of the home country in that place where he's sent, that, the ambassador doesn't dream up the policies, doesn't write those policies. You know, they speak the policy of those who sent him. And that's what God is doing with us. We're his ambassadors. He sends us everywhere we go. It's a kingdom opportunity and a place for us to go and represent the king of kings in a place that desperately needs to know him. And so he sends us out as ambassadors who have been entrusted with the message and entrusted with the ministry. And he says, go and be my mouthpiece. You go and stand in my stead of who I am and what I represent and what I say. And, and you live that out in your 8 to 15, your inner circle. And he calls us to do that. And, and as I, I think about that, think there's, there's a neighbor I have across the street. And, and I've been working on a relationship with him over the last seven, eight years. But I remember, like, so we're both football fans, and, and he invited me to watch football one day. So I, I came home from church and changed and went over to his house to meet a bunch of his friends. And I remember coming in there, and this is the first time I was in his living room or his family room with the, the TV on there, and they're, they're all watching the game. And then I could tell by their language, um, which had different F words than I was experiencing at church that morning. And I'm like, well, I'm, a, I'm just, I'm it. I am that one light that's here. But instead of, you know, being afraid of that or, or doing any judgment, the reality was, I'm like, no. I'm like, I've been invited in to this environment to be the very life, the very light and salt of Jesus Christ. And I'm like, I'm going for it. And I've been working on that for seven years. He, we've had spiritual conversations. He knows who I am. He knows what I stand for. I still get to go in his house. We still have a great relationship. But it was my understanding, my having the perspective that I had, that when I walked into his house, it had a purpose beyond watching football. Which, again, might be hard for some of you to understand, because I'm a huge football fan. Like, but he is not a Raider fan, so it was easy for me to you know, not pay attention to the game. But I wouldn't even pay attention to the Raiders right now. But that's another story right? But God is quite clear in calling us um, to what he's doing, right? Jesus was that original, you know, ambassador. If you ever understand, like, what does he mean? What does it look like? Just go back to Jesus, right? Who left the living room of heaven and came to the living room of earth, where he heard all kinds of crazy stuff, but he came on purpose because he was faithful to the Father who sent him. He said, I will be the original light. I will be the salt, and they will know my Father because they've seen me. And if we have any idea of how it's done, we just go back to the Gospels and look at the life of Jesus, and that's it. Right? There's the challenge of God's Word. We keep going back. If we forget, what does it look like? What do we do? Just go back to Jesus. Copy Him. And we live those principles out. But we are God's ambassadors. And Paul says this, that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so we might become the righteousness of God. Right? He took on the sin. He took on our our debt that we could never pay, and he paid it in full. And then he says that then then we, we get this benefit. We get this privilege of being the righteousness of God. What does that mean? Right? It's not of myself. I'm not righteous in and of myself, but because I'm in Christ Jesus, I share in His righteousness. So therefore, I can then take that same challenge to be a light. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, right? You mean this light that stands on a stand. And I'm salt because He is in my life. And we live out these principles as people who are called and sent to go and infect are 8 to 15 with the very love of Jesus Christ and be disciplers, people who make more disciples. And in so doing, we're, we're that righteousness. We're that stark difference. There should be enough transformation and change in our lives as we're growing, that as we go into these environments, they should see something different about our lives and wonder, like, why is Christine so different? why is Heather so different? And maybe those relationships and those conversations are sparked and they're nurtured over time. So people know like, this isn't me, right? If you knew Tim, like I, I have a gold medal in grudge and I have a gold medal in anger. Like if I were to have not been changed by the love of Jesus Christ, that would be who you would know. I wouldn't be in this room. God changes us. A wholesale change changes our perspective, changes our purpose, and He rewires us and empowers us to live out what He's called us to do. And people over the long haul will see that. They'll see the fact that as I spend time in the Word of God, I'm changed. As I spend time in dialogue, which is prayer with God, I'm changed. That as I put that into practice and I make sacrifices of my life, it's stark and different from the world. Because whereas I try and practice generosity, they know greed. Now, I know that there are some people that, that, that live out biblical principles without being a disciple yet, but, but it's not for the kingdom purpose. And here he says that we might become the righteousness of God. I know if Brett were here, he's on, he's on um, anniversary weekend. But I know one of his favorite verses is that, that idea that we are the aroma of Christ. That Paul would say later on in Corinthians. That, that those who, who breathe us in, to those who are saved, it's a pleasant aroma. But those who don't understand yet, they don't know that aroma. It stinks to them. And as I was thinking about that early this morning, i like, that... That's just the aroma of the righteousness of God in our lives. Like, some people are going to understand, like, oh, I know that smell. Like, that's bacon cooking downstairs, or that's blueberry pie being baked in my grandmother's oven. To other people, like, what is that? Let me tell you what that is. We have these conversations with those in our inner circle, and we explain to them what it is we believe. And we share with them how we've been changed and transformed. And maybe as we pray for them over time, they too will understand who Jesus Christ is. But that's what it means to be a discipler. To go and take these principles and put them into practice. And as he would, Paul would then go on to write what we call chapter 6, verse 1, it says this. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. Right. That as as people hear the message, our prayer and our hope is that it's not uselessness to them, that they take it in and it changes who they are. That it's not in vain. That as they hear what's going on, that they would stop and receive it or at least chew on it so that they've at least examined the evidence so they have something to stand on when they say yes or no. But it's the message that we bring from God to them and we give to them. And our prayer is that grace would not be in vain. But as we look at this in the original language, there's actually two things going on. Paul's expressing he doesn't want the message to be received in vain, but he also doesn't want the messenger to be received in vain. Because if we were to read beyond this, Paul starts to go into this whole list of why they should believe what he's saying. And the two go hand in hand. And I think about that with Jesus. Right here he came as the messenger with a message. And what happened? They rejected him in both. He came to that which was his own, and they rejected him. Then he went to a wider audience, and they said, I do. And he was saddened by those who didn't, but he was encouraged and empowered by those who said, I do. That that message and the messenger are, are uniquely tied together, not to receive them in vain. And as I think about that as a messenger, it's really it's those relationships that we forged over time that, that kind of give us the, the, the right to be heard. There was a a prolonged season in my life kind of coming when I came back to the Lord and then for a long period after that, that on Monday night during football season, I would go over to my brother's house and spend time with him, but all of his friends. And when I first started doing that, I was going over there as one of them watching football and, and what have you. But then as I came back to the Lord and it was the next football season, I went over there on purpose. I had a bigger purpose than watching Monday night football. And they started to see, I mean, they knew who I was. And I, I, when I was mad at God and I stopped walking for a while, I really didn't stray too far because um, I did not not believe. I was just mad at Him, right? That's a different story. But, when, but they saw me come back to Him and change and start to become who I should have been all along. And so that as those next football seasons came, and I don't know why, there was— there were, like, two seasons in a row, like, the game was over in the first quarter. Like, it was, like, you know, the best team versus the worst team. And, like, this is Monday night football. Like, this is silly. And so by, like, by halftime, after we'd had dinner and and whatnot, like, half of them would check out, and they would go down to the local bar or to the local strip club. And, like, hey, let's all go down to this place. And I'm, like, no. Like, as bad as this game is, it's better than where you're going. Right? But so— I I wouldn't go. I wouldn't partake in some of those things that are from a worldly point of view. Hey, why not, right? Because it's the world. That group of people that were in that room over a period of time, I had a chance one-on-one to share the message of the gospel with them. And a couple of them said, I do. And the rest of them said, not yet. Well, actually they said, no. My prayer is that it's just still not yet. But... They didn't reject me, and they didn't reject the message. Well, I guess they did reject the message, right? But it wasn't because of, of me. They knew who I was. And they knew, like, hey, this makes sense for you, and, and I believe you, and we can still be friends, but that's just not for me. Why? Because I allowed God to continue to transform my life on display, on purpose, with a kingdom perspective, to make more disciples. So that when I spoke, it resonated with my life. And they understood that. We're still good friends. We're still friends. I mean, that was a couple decades ago, but there's no hard feelings. And Paul's saying here that don't receive the grace of God in vain. And tied to that is his ambassadors. That our life and our message have to mesh together. And unfortunately, sometimes people will reject the message, and sometimes they reject us. But the encouragement that Christ said was, if they reject you, they they really are rejecting me, and I know how it feels. And we're God's co-workers. Previously, he called us his ambassadors. And as Paul would continue to write shortly after this, in a couple sentences, he would say, we're God's co-servants. Right? One of the things that we looked at in this circle, right? This idea of being a servant. We are working with God. We plant the seed, we water the seed, and God makes it grow. I have to be faithful as a discipler to plant the seed and through prayer and other methods to help water it, but it's God's business because it's His kingdom. He's calling me to do that, and He's calling you to do that. If you say you're a follower of Jesus Christ... And then in this section Paul finishes with this quote from the Old Testament. For he says in the in the time of my favor I God heard you and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you now is the time of God's favor and today is the day of salvation. There's an urgency to the message. And one thing I think that we that we lose, I think as believers is this idea of the imminent return of Jesus Christ. Like, he is coming back soon and quickly. Now, granted, he's got a bigger, different watch, but it could be today. And we are supposed to live with that sense of imminent return. And he says, today is a day of salvation. Today. Like, we have to take serious—we can't—we shouldn't be waiting. Like, I'm going to take one more class so I understand this other book I've studied ten times— I understand it's fearful. I under, trust me. I understand rejection. I've had enough rejection in my life. My, my, my saying used to be this. I've been shafted so much in my life, I feel like an elevator. Like, I get it. Yeah, you see, there you go. Someone understand, right? Like, I understand that. I'm like, but it's not me they're rejecting. it. sadly, it's Christ in his kingdom. But today is a day of salvation, and we're called to stand firm for Him and to deliver. And there is a sense of urgency. We should be praying. We, uh, my wife and I, we weren't here last week. We had the joy of going out of town to—this um, is going to sound funny to you— to joyfully run marathons, or half marathon, in the mountains last weekend. But we didn't do that alone. There was these people. There's this couple that's a part of our inner circle, my inner circle. And months ago, I invited them to go run this with us. And we got to spend the weekend with them, playing card games and having awesome food and then running 26.2 miles and then being tired together. And what? For the sake of the kingdom. We had spiritual conversations. We prayed at meals. We had a chance to challenge one another. We had a chance to love one another. Why? Because I was intentional in building these relationships. And we had a great time. Right? It was a wild card. We'd never spend that much time with them. We're like six hours away in Northern California. Like if the first night, if it just wasn't going to work out, like we would have had to suffer for Jesus for three more days. (laughs) Or maybe like lose them on the side of the road as we're running. Like just ditch them. No, Right? We had to take a chance. I had no idea how the weekend was going to go. But it went great. And we're just naturally being ourselves and sharing the love of Jesus, you know, and encouraging them in their walks. And it was fun. It was kingdom. It was kindness. It was a different perspective than I might have otherwise lived out. But God has called us to be his ambassadors entrusted with the ministry and the message of reconciliation to work alongside those that we're living alongside of. Those 8 to 15 in our life, our inner circle, as we are disciplers, making disciples of those who both don't know yet and those who barely do and they need to grow, and we teach them. That's what we're trying to accomplish here at Cedars. God has given us this vision, and as, as the body of Cedars, he's called us to go and do this. Let me pray. Father, I, I thank you for this call. And I, and I know as humans, God, and you know it, it's difficult for us. It's, it's fearful. We have excuses. Sometimes I'm lazy. Sometimes I would rather have somebody else go. But God, you, you've called us. And I love that word entrusted. You've entr- You see that... We have enough. We, in you, we have more than enough. And you've given us. You give us the ministry. You give us the message. You empower us, and you don't leave us alone in it. And God, I pray that we would take serious our ambassadorship to make disciples, to be disciplers who we'll continue to pray, who we'll continue to live sacrificially who continue to take on a servant's posture, encouraged and and matured by your word, because we have said, I follow you. And I pray that encouragement for my brothers and sisters here, and I pray that for me. And that this day is a day of salvation, that wherever we go and we leave here, there are kingdom opportunities. Help us to have eyes that see and have that perspective no longer from the worldly point of view, but from the kingdom point of view. And I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.